Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Tell me your current role at the moment, what you look after at Iris, and uh, you've had a, a long and storied career with accounting software. Why don't, we, why don't we start at the end and then go all the way back to the start? I do have a bit of a long and sorted career in a number of different areas. But so currently at Iris, I'm responsible for basically any, any revenue that we generate here in the Americas. So that's looking after right now half dozen different en- entities that we've acquired since 2019 in the area of both practice management, document management, and payroll. And so if you look at that, that's the, the STAR practice management application, practice engine, and then iChannel, which was a little company called Conarch out of Atlanta, and then Docket up in Canada. Oh, yes. Yes, I've heard of it. And then um, Accountants World was our latest acquisition out of Hop Hog, New York, which we picked up then uh, a great little um, cloud platform related to payroll. And uh, they've got a real nice niche area, and we're looking to continue to you know, expand in payroll and really around that whole notion of both the, the collaborative tools that you need, practice management, document management, and then yeah. also um, the payroll component. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not we're not selling, Jim. So let's get it get that out of the way. First. Okay, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're good here. We're good here. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing in, uh, in, in the in Iris for the Americas is uh, we're we're focused on the on the CPA market, serving them and yeah. in those different areas. Are you prior to that, you're at CCH. I mean, I'd love to go back to the start, How, and we'll we'll build back up to where we are today. How did you get involved in <laughs> the amazing? astonishing, a fast-paced moving world of accounting software. <laughs> it's not my original cloth, if you will. I, I, just, I, I started life in the United States military, spent time uh, working on communication systems, classified uh, you know, systems, and, and then uh, actually ended up working as far as my first instance with accounting was actually working on a payroll system for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Yeah, right. And so uh, uh, redoing their payroll system and then later building what was called their consolidated agency personnel payroll system, which was a little bit of a little bit of everything to our real tasking was to understand what it took to actually do very long term projects and how to actually put the costing and the personnel needs around those very complex projects. So that was uh, very interesting as as the customer, if you will, of technology Mm. providers and responsible for building that out for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. And then uh, then I got I got pulled to the dark side and, and got sucked <laughs> into the, the technology community working for a number of the technology providers that I had been co-innovating with. And so yep. some of those, uh, was, the first one was actually Sybase. Right, back in well, the relational war days. Yeah, yeah. Oracle right. and yeah, I, so, this, so I reckon this is what, early 90s or something? That is early 90s. Yep. And uh, spent a lot of time in that space and then picked up a startup there, going left and got involved with a startup again around integration, large scale systems, solving big, hairy problems. And that intertwines back and forth with accounting and billing and back office. And then I actually went over to uh, Siebel, actually, and worked at Siebel for eight years. And uh, building software for a variety of different spaces. Not specifically accounting, but we did get you know quite involved, if you will, in the front end of that business, you know, serving the sales and marketing needs 
for uh, many different industries globally, and then did a uh, a stint at SAP when Siebel sold, and was actually there in both public sector, but really got into GRC in the, the hype of GRC. And then you start selling back into the financial community kind of in a different angle or a different bent. And that set me up for later to actually come into Walters Kluwer related to internal audit. We were selling the internal audit software yeah. at, at WK, both into CPAs that were providing that capability you know, for people in the market, but then also directly to customers themselves. Mm. So I've kind of seen many different angles of this market I've been kind of the, the guy developing it for themselves and using technology. I've been on the technology, pure technology side, and I sold into the different components and really serviced this market from a number of different directions. I was working at Oracle in the early 90s when Sybase was a was a competitor. So I was only a little junior then and being unduly influenced by the uh by the older sales reps, but um, they would celebrate pretty hard when they beat Sybase in a in an on-prem deal. There was no no such thing as cloud or anything back as, in those days. <laughs> as did we. Yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> that was there was uh, the marketing battles back and forth between yes. Oracle and Sybase were yes. a thing of legend. Yes, the fud, the constant fud. But you you do realize that Sybase was better. Yeah, well, it was only uh, in the smaller accounts, of course. <laughs> only unless you're the Mormon church and you have That's, like one yeah, of the largest no. <laughs> databases on the, in the world oh, that God. happens let's, to be Oracle. Yeah, let's, let's not. The Mormons have got their own issues at the moment. The, um, <laughs> I hired a DBA out of Oracle to come work for me at uh, Siebel, and he was one of his responsibilities was at Oracle was supporting that. It's a massive data structure. He said it's a phenomenal project. So I bet we um, should not go without mentioning, but um, we, you know, the way that we got started was in accounting or in the accounting software game was uh, building a payroll system. So uh, there you go. We've got that in common. We, ours is a little bit smaller than yours though, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we ended up with that. Well, these days it's the, you know, the backbone of zeros payroll in, in Australia, which does about three billion, it does thirty percent or so of the GDP in Aussie. So the little yeah. thing that we built ten years ago is still going strong, and um, hopefully it um, continues to support the Australian economy through its weird ups ups and downs. And then Siebel, I mean that talking about competition with Oracle, like wow, you know, like that was some heated. Heated accounts, heated tenders. Funny little story was we were highly dependent on Oracle's database. That's right. You were too. I yeah. remember. One of the, uh, I lost your video. There you go, Stuart. One of the core developers from Oracle was a guy named Crash. And he was right. one of the core kernel developers at Oracle. And he came over to Siebel. And every once in a while, when there would be something that we just hit up against some hard barrier trying to use the Oracle database, Tom would lend Crash back out to Oracle to go fix the problem. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned that, I remember, you know, because we, we would always have two bid teams in those deals, right? So there'd the, the, yeah. be the one that would take the the ERP and the, and, and the, the whole shooting match, the CRM, and the one that would support the database in the Siebel bid. Yeah. <laughs> and I reckon they always price them both the same. <laughs> you could take all of Oracle, just so we beat Siebel, or you could take our database for the price you could get everything else for anyway. 
that was always a, uh, a very interesting times. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know, Oracle made the bid and, and bought Siebel at the, at the end of the day. So there yeah, you go. That's so Larry, though. Yeah. It's like, I'll, you know, beat the shit out of you for as long as I possibly can. You did this with PeopleSoft. And, that, and we actually, <laughs> it was down the road here, like on, on 300 acres of lakefront. And Larry bought some property up, up here as well. To this day, I still don't think that they... There's always animosity whenever Larry does a deal. Like he, he can never, right. ever just come away with a win-win-win. It's just not in his nature. He bought another hotel up here and all kinds of things. So he's still him and his kids still have a fair bit of influence. But Dave Duffield does amazing things for the area. I don't know whether it's in spite of <laughs> of their history or because of, but but the community is appreciative of Workday and PeopleSoft and the military background would have been. Pretty interesting back in those days, right? Have you got a good story from then? Yeah, well, I, I was a, uh, I don't have it sitting here, but, you know, after many, many years, you get the, you still get things in the mail, little love notes in the mail that said, oh, by the way, the Congress has passed this. And so we were, uh, they passed a bill saying that they were recognizing everyone who, who served in, during the Cold War. <laughs> just that makes you feel a bit older yeah it's like oh, uh, all right well at least we won <laughs> well i don't know it might be still going <laughs> yeah, well, we, we started off cold war part two yeah uh, that's it <laughs> uh, but um it was uh very very early days of technology yeah. and back then if you were not in computer science you were basically either in communications or math and most of the systems we had, you know, like that night today, the idea of like an API, that was, that would have been pretty great. handy. <laughs> yeah. That would have been handy. But instead, <laughs> what we were doing was literally writing protocols and protocol gateways, trying yeah. to just get the core protocols talking to each other. So you even talk to people in, in computer science today, they don't even know what you're talking about. And so, you know, talk about the gender or the um, the age Gener gap. Yes, the generational uh, like, divide. You, you start going into the uh, OSI layers, and you you see people like just completely fog over on you. It's like, what are you what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I just hit the button. Very, very, very different times. But you know what? I don't know. It gives it gives me a little different perspective as, as to the meaning of hard. Um, <laughs> or, or, <laughs> you, or try, difficult. you try Back. some punch cards with you. With your API for a bit and see how you go, right? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. When I lived in Maryland for years, I actually used to teach a, a course in, in history. And I used to bring all these things in. And I had artifacts from that I picked up over the years, uh, either from the, the military or from the and various government agencies I worked with. And I'd bring these in and try to get people to guess what they were. And they had no idea what, okay. what, what these things were. No. So... Talk about feeling old. That's good stuff. Well, you know, like the technology would not be what it is today without all that foundational efforts, predominantly military-based. I mean, it's well known that um, I mean, essentially the internet or TCPIP at least was invented yeah. for military purposes. And uh, yeah, some of the, the original guys that if you go back and look at the authoring of TCPIP, the UDP, IDP, and inside that stack is actually coming out of Ames Research Center. And at the time, NASA Science Internet, I think his name was Don Amy, actually was uh, one of the uh, you know core developers. 
And so it was interesting as you get into, again, you bring that up as a protocol, you know, at the time, you know, um, because NASA was a scientific organization, they routed everything and they used everything. And they were completely open organization. And so their security posture was they watched. And if they somebody came in and started doing something nefarious, they would start tracking them and they became very good at that. Yeah. But the some of the core, to your point, those were government contracts, many times related to either weapons or other types of military development that drove a lot, a lot of that early technology, even Sybase to a degree. Um, yep. yep. Uh, Mark Hoffman, uh, Bob Epstein and Mark Hoffman, Bob was uh, Berkeley. And uh, Mark Hoffman was actually um, West Point, I believe, and then got into the intelligence community and brought in um, you know, that technology to help the um, intelligence community. That was open, the open client, open service. A server was one of the first multi-threaded kind of distributed capabilities that you could put on a variety of different servers. And so that was that was all to run things at, at a much higher rate than we'd ever been able to do before. Because at the time, you're going to get me going, Stuart, when you start talking about technology at the time, Model 204 was the fastest inverted list database on go. the planet. That's what they were using for intercepts at, and to do all of the calculations related to pulling that information in. So anyway, it's you get me going on that and give me a beer and it can get, it can get dangerous. <laughs> no, no. Well, uh, both, both. Let's do both. The um, <laughs> I want to say it was VM machine, like, not virtual machines, but there was. We used to do a lot of work on on obviously the Sun Microsystems machines because they were sort of the first ones with multi CPU, multi threaded. But there was an um, what was the machine? It starts with V, and it was a completely different operating system. It was very popular back in the early nineties. And was able to was now you're going to show both of our age because we can't remember crap. Oh God, no! That's that's going to because I learned some of that operating system and um, obviously forgot it pretty quickly. Anyway, I'll find it later. I'll find it later. But um, it was the so you know Sun's the, the, big operating system was the first one. It's going to you're going to find you're going to you're going to chuckle at this. Wasn't it Iris? Oh, there was something like that. It wasn't an unrelated, but it was something like that. <laughs> no, it was uh, six, the first 64-bit parallel operating system, I thought, was a Sun operating system called Iris. No. Irix. Irix, that's what it was. Irix. <laughs> and, and, and that was uh, SGI. SGI, oh, the silicon graphics machines. God, yeah. when they turned up at the office, that was they were yeah. beasts. <laughs> that was the, that was it was the SGI IRIC sixty four, I believe, was one of the first sixty four bit operating systems. And that that was the only you know that that was sort of the first. It was a variant on Unix, right? Yeah, but as as sort of the Sun Microsystems machines and the, and the wasn't it Jobs that went to that sort of started SGI when he got kicked out of Apple the first time? Isn't that was the story? Wasn't it? You're just randomly talk, we're talking about uh, computing history across yeah, the ages. Yeah, fascinating. <laughs> I reckon. I mean, like uh, our audience there, well, it's all right. It's only my mum that listens anyway. And then she gave up a few episodes ago. Have you ever been to the Computer History Museum in San Jose? I have not. And I used to live in um, just up the in on the peninsula. I lived in San Carlos. It's amazing what's in there. It's fascinating yeah. to... Um, as somebody who sort of grew up with with a lot of that, um, you know, just the rapid pace of change was amazing back, and I'm sure it still is. We just don't notice as much. <laughs> yeah. 
you look at these, right? Yeah, I mean, no, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Right? It's crazy what's on the uh, on the phones. And it's, it's funny, guys, every once in a while, it's like, what's behind you? And I have a, an old workstation here because I used to do a lot of underwater. Uh, I used to do photography and, and video. And so my son had built a um, big machine to do rendering for me. It's got, a, you know, four parallel video cards in it that are you know water cooled and have yeah, all yeah, stuff yeah. on them and everything but but you could get them parallel so when you go to do the rendering for the video after you've done your editing it doesn't take you like six hours to get it done yeah they get the video you can get it done in like an hour and um, now you can do that on your phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> frustrating right when you spend but, 20 grand on a machine and five exactly. years later it's no, worth fuck all this, <laughs> we built this thing that used to make the lights dim and you know what it worked worked great so that was uh but yes now you just you just load it up in the well you know what the video rendering is still pretty in, uh yeah uh, it is process, process and memory intensive so that's a uh because you know yeah. what it's just it changed because you we were I was doing like 720 and up to 1080 and now with 4K you know it, everything just accelerates as far as the, the amount of data that you're processing and so it all it always seems about the same because the quality of the image is so much better and all the controls you have on it and the software packages themselves are are you know they're just as big as they ever were as well or bigger it takes more and more memory to to load those things into into the systems as well so. Well, where, where I work, mate, that Jim, that you know, you don't have to load fuck all, right? Like, is this whole thing? You don't, all you need is a. Remember, you don't need to, you know, fake this online screen scraping shit. I'm not sure you're doing a lot of video rendering in the cloud per not, se. Not much, not much. <laughs> Although the um, our marketing department do enjoy that stuff. We should talk a little bit about accounting, right? Yeah, if we must. Otherwise, we'll have to change the name of the podcast to Computer History Podcast. There we go. That wouldn't be a bad one. There's probably plenty of them out there. Let's start with something like uh, the COVID's influence on the American market in particular. What was your sort of takeaway, you know, from sort of the last, from from early 20 to the, or sorry, early, early 19 to sort of the end of 21 and, and through that period? Yeah. So COVID's impact, you know, to me since, you know, kind of the inception Actually, it's interesting. I was uh, at a sales kickoff with my team at the beginning there, and the, the team from China couldn't come, and that was kind of the beginning of it all, if you will. But as a um, you know, dreaded shutdowns in the office, and actually even being a cloud cloud company and servicing customers and and the cloud, you know, we still had people that you know came in the office. There was still a sense of of camaraderie, if you will. So there, I think there's a couple of different dimensions of that. It's like, mm. how did it impact your customers? How did it impact the way you worked? Yep. And how did it impact the macro market, if you will? And the thing is, is that there's very seldom there are events that actually impact all those different dimensions from my my perspective. Yeah. So it impacted the, you know, the, the way we worked, we immediately had to figure out how we were going to um, route all the calls to people that were now at home that didn't have setups to be able to manage just um, supporting our, our customers. So we, oh, it's funny, one of the, where I was, because we didn't know what was really going on and how long it was going to last. We just went out and bought a bunch of burners. And, <laughs> <laughs> just to route something to somebody somewhere. <laughs> and, well, we could change the routing really quick, but where does it yep. go? Right. And so that was a, that was a quick answer. And then we, we got smarter, you know, as we, we got into it. I think what customers, what it did specifically for me for, in the accounting market 
is and we talked a little bit about this earlier, Stuart, when you were talking about on-premise. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the people that that were just hell-bent on having on-premise systems. That's my accounting system. It must yep. be in yep. the yep. inside in the, the firewall. In, in the very safe cupboard that I used yeah. to that's store it, next to the coffee. <laughs> exactly. All of a sudden, that became irrelevant because yep. that wasn't the case. And people were no longer getting together in the office. And I needed to support people wherever they were. And though my working hours were changing and there were all kinds of other issues. And so people that had actually started to move to the cloud, when I say people, organizations that had actually started that move were far better off already. And people who didn't, they had a cultural shift, organization shift, process shift. I think it was much more disruptive where the businesses who had kind of just let technology languish. And yeah. and, and that that might be a lesson moving forward that you know staying up to date you want to maybe you don't want to be on the bleeding edge in accounting but being a fast follower is not a bad thing and well, we encourage that <laughs> yeah yeah well <laughs> and, and you know the the people's understanding if you will kind of cloud iq i think increased significantly in a very short period of time because they were forced to not only for their own life look at uh we're using zoom but if you look at zoom mm. or you look at Teams, how quickly these products iterated in a six-month period. Teams went from basically not functional, yeah, to highly <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> no, very, fu- very fucking annoying to to way less annoying, to way less annoying, <laughs> and, and into an actual usable tool. And then they started adding things like this is amazing, and you see the stuff just show up when they started adding not just record but transcribing everything trans- that happens. Yeah especially for like an audit function. What a great thing to get on the phone with somebody and transcribe everything and it's all written up. I don't even have to do the writing. Wow, it's the it's, tools yep. of the, the cloud that can actually change the way you work. Yeah, um, even accessibility as well, you know, like uh, COVID had a great impact on say the deaf, you know, people wearing masks, they couldn't. So all these tools, the apps, you know, for not yet the majority, in the industry became almost compulsory, right? I, I completely agree. So I've, I've seen a huge change in, in across a variety of different dimensions, both personal, how how it impacted your life, how it impacted the customer's life. And I and I think that one of, of kind of increasing the, cl- the cloud IQ at a, a much more accelerated rate. I don't know what else you could have done that would have uh, <laughs> had the same uh, impact, kind of move people along those lines. It's kind of interesting because uh, in some degrees, the equity markets are still a little bit behind on that curve because everyone's <laughs> interested in cloud and so forth and so on. But the investments in cloud organizations, it takes a little bit different philosophy and there's a different skill set of who runs these and how do you set up the organization and how do you set up modern production services and how do you serve customers and, and how important it is that it's always on. It's anywhere and it's yeah. always on. Very, very different mentality than to your point about the machine in the closet down the <laughs> hall from the coffee machine. Yeah. Well, well that, and stored with the coffee. You you sometimes with something flammable, I always found that one the best. You know, stick it in there with something that heats up real quick. In the magnesium rack near Yeah, heat. that's it. <laughs> Uh, that'd be right. It's sort of related, you know, like your your parent, it's, excuse my ignorance, but your, your parent company is in the UK. Yep. So you, you would get a um, a fair bit of comparison between the North American market and the UK market. 
coming out of the Southern Hemisphere and a lot of experience with Zero and, and Zero's markets, predominantly Australia, New Zealand, and then slowly grinding our way up into the UK and did a pretty good job of that. We always sort of felt that the UK was a bit more progressive than, than here in North America. I think the government, you know, the making tax digital sort of programs and those kinds of things certainly had an impact. And they, they were they were pre-COVID as well. But um, I kind of, I mean, I'm sort of making this a bit rhetorical now, but anyway, I didn't mean to, but I, I sort of felt that the UK, that the North America caught up a little bit in the technology progression through COVID to Australia, to the UK, to New Zealand, et cetera. So when COVID started, I was actually working at Walters Floor. So the, I, you know, I was in that kind of uh, very different domain and I was responsible for global business. So I was seeing what was happening yeah, in China and Asia PAC. And yep. I tell you what's really surprising there along those lines where um, we expanded one of our areas that was less hit was actually the Middle East. And we saw expansion in Dubai and Saudi Arabia and those kind of places where the thought was was interesting. As far as the, the UK over the, the US, I think it's really sector specific. So if you look at what the sectors and how various sectors are functioning, the UK government, is, as I think, has a has always done probably a little bit. It, we always look at compliance related issues coming first in Europe, even like the privacy issues and yeah, GDPR and, and everything. And, and all of those those things happen in Europe first, there's an acceptance of them. And I think it's a part of it is, is the way people live and density in the yep. cities and so forth and so on. But also it's the society is how the governments think about solving that problem. Yep. And then there's there's some kind of evolved version that, that hops the pond. And, and then, Except for privacy stuff. America still yeah, has to no, fuck all about that. You know, we, we don't care about that. <laughs> no, not <Yeah>. one bit. <laughs> so, so it is interesting. Um, it is interesting. But I, I think uh, a number of the businesses, the acceptance in, of cloud in, in Europe, specifically in some of those technologies were, and the compliance related environments were definitely ahead of the ahead of the curve in both the organizations that I've worked at as it relates to the U.S. Now, you're saying that the U.S. has stole this massive market yeah. and to, to yeah. appropriately crack the nut, it's kind of like the diesel. Once it gets going, yeah. you just can't stop it. So very interesting to see the different dynamics. And then yeah. also having lived on the East Coast and then having gone and lived in Silicon Valley, you know, high tech organizations and firms run at a different pace. Oh, completely. Complete, and it's a completely different mindset and everything else. And it's true, as you know, you can't explain it. And people think, because yeah. they're in and software, they're in high tech. And it's like, no, it's different. It really is different. If you're working on the corner of 92 and 101, which is <laughs> kind of like the nexus of engine development and software, B2B enterprise software, or you're working downtown in San Francisco, or you're working, you know, you down further on the peninsula, that's fine. Mm, mm, that's a mm. very different domain. To Westchester anywhere. or something, you know, like, anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, so. Even the accountants in in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, we I mean, there's a there's a handful that are really progressive and great, but a lot of them are sort of isolated from from customers surrounding them. You know, it's the rest of, of the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. But um, actually, I think no, it, it cuts across many different disciplines. Let's just yeah. leave it at, at yeah, uh, yeah. At, I will live and die on the note that you cannot explain it unless you've been there. Yeah, there's there's a couple of different countries in the United States of America. There's no doubt about that, <laughs> and and so every four years cessation comes up. <laughs> yeah, and so tell me about the acquisitions. I mean, tell me what you can 
tell me, but um, a couple of companies, uh, particularly like Star and Practice Engine, that were certainly aimed at the bigger end of of the accounting world. The PPA market, yeah. Something that Iris knows a lot about. And um, those guys have been plugging away for a long time and built a pretty good little base for themselves. And is there a roll-up there or is it just sort of let's keep churning them out and producing revenue or is there some uh, efficiencies and, and operational effectiveness? What's what's the plan? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at any any place where we've acquired, you know, more than one <laughs> of, of the same thing, there's really going to be either two kind of schools of thought in the PE world, if you will, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, sweat the asset or or do something with it. And Iris is definitely in the latter camp. They're the do something with it camp. So yep. the the intent there is, I don't know how familiar with you are some of the, the recent launches in, in Europe, but there's a, a program called Elements, which is more of a yep. platform. Yep. Built on the Salesforce platform? Uh, no. Elements? It's, no. Elements is its own platform. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 And so... Um, and you know, the idea is, is that you can you know sign on. There's the API. There's all the microservices that you would expect in a platform. And then as you do acquisitions, we can start plugging these acquisitions into the into that environment and give a more a much more consistent experience to our, our users. Yep. And that notion will come into the States as well. But right now we've got some other kind of work to do as far as um, consolidating some of our existing acquisitions that we've already done. No surprise to anyone. Yeah. And no surprise our community, but we are absolutely committed to making sure we can bring our, our customers with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's a bigger play to really focus on that engagement layer, really focus on the CPA community and, and figure out the best way to serve them. And then we're inquisitive. If you haven't figured out, we're somewhat inquisitive. <laughs> so um, if there's other things out there that are interesting that are in kind of that archipelago or in that orbit, we're very interested to pull those into the the whole. Right now, it's kind of we're we're in an interesting time. You you mm, get to mm. COVID, and I'll draw a couple of intersections for you. COVID has created a really interesting activity in the payroll market because in the states specifically, compliance has changed. Where they used to, a lot of the states had reciprocal agreements across state lines. Now the states are all vying for. Wait, wait a second. Now, yeah, yeah. based here. You yeah, yeah. You, you, he, they spent the 181 days in Nevada or California, like California, Nevada will fight over my, my residency exactly. for and days so, to come. So that hourly compliance requirement for both hourly employees and salaried employees is, is really interesting right now. And because of that, there's some additional regulation that's coming down the pipe. And there's some different, um, there's enforcement. I don't know how much you're into this, but there's enforcement of of what type of payroll provider, technology provider are you? And um, do you have the money transfer licenses as well to operate in these different environments? And because of that, you're finding in a lot of independent payroll providers that are just saying, I'm not, I'm just not too hard. I'm out. Too hard, yeah. <laughs> too hard. Yeah. Now on the flip side, if you got a great technology platform, like someone, I, I it is a company, it's four letters, begins with an I, you know, we've actually kind of cracked that nut. So there's an interesting opportunity, I think, in the market when you combine the impact of people moving kind of the gig economy 
Yep. People moving and living in different places because you have people that are working, yeah. you know, they didn't go back to the office. So they're working in Denver for ski season and they're yeah. they're going down to Florida for, you know, warm the season when they want to be warm. And, yeah, yeah, even better. We we found a couple in Mexico's. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so <laughs> getting the, getting American wages down in uh in Guadalajara, I said, like, fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's changing the way people live and work. And because of that, get paid. There's a compliance requirement to that as well. So we're, we're finding an interesting uh, nexus that we just, we, in some instances, we were smart about. We're in yeah. the right place. And other instances, we're working really hard to make sure we can, we can solve for that. So, but, I mean, I don't track the US payroll market. I sort of got a bit of PTSD from, from uh, payroll, but um, over the years, but and and I don't track it too closely. But I I'm noticed sure. the common twitch. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, said, my right eye hasn't recovered, but um, but you know, I mean, Gusto and, and Zenefits are obviously big big players in the SMB space now. There's yep. Parker Conrad's new thing, whose name would come to me later. Um, but are there a couple of smaller ones that uh, that are showing promise that Iris might snap up? Or are you more interested in sort of the the more um, perhaps slower organizations or, or mid-tier organizations? Let's call them that. <laughs> let's just say we, we have a, uh, a healthy appetite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know, as I said at the start, we're not for sale, but um, there's big checks out there occasionally, and uh, but we're still not for sale. So there you go. The um, It's always one of those things where... I'm looking for those, uh, again, kind of those interesting intersections in the market when market condition, macro conditions happen and you think there's going to be this, this period of time, yeah. then how do, how do you ride, how do you get on that wave and ride it? And that's how, you know, obviously that's how we drive enterprise value to yeah. you know, our, our investors as well. Yeah. But I also think if it's linked to really solving a, a, a core problem in the market, it's a fun place to be. You're solving a really good problem. People in the organization, it's a good place to be. You're driving yeah. enterprise value for your investors. Yeah. I mean, that's truly a win-win. Definitely. It's it's it is fun to create value. I think the accounting, you know, the CPA market is is under a great deal, a, a huge change at the moment. Like you, you know, you traditionally, particularly in North America, you've got the sort of the the very small end, the one to three, which is predominantly, you know, has dominated the the practice numbers and they're they're finding like it's hard to get the multiples that they used to. It's hard to provide a succession plan that's compelling because you know, like you, the the son that you that you born to take over the practice is no longer interested in in sitting in an office in I don't know Walnut Creek for the next thirty years and taking over the practice. They're just you know they're more interested in going to Costa Rica for three months and Colorado for four and. It just doesn't work like that anymore, and I think you know we, we've we've positioned like I don't think it was that intentional, but but just there's so much platform to build in order to to really accommodate the all the needs of of practices yeah. that we start at the small end, and we've we've seen quite a, a change over our short short life already in that smaller end of the market, and, and you know they're the cloud progressive ones too. They're the ones that that are driving the change in the technology. I don't disagree with that. And it's interesting because that that area is still one of the areas where, it, you know, if you look on the, even like on a, on the tax compliance side, yeah. that's becoming so highly co- commoditized that yeah. the dollars are just dropping out of that. So where do you go? Where do you go? So the engagement products are definitely a better place from my perspective to be 
And then also um, getting smarter on, you know, the, this dreaded cast, you know, that whether you call it <laughs> client advisory services or client accounting advisory services, but those other services that are starting to use some of the latest technologies around, you know, whether it's AI or machine learning or, or natural language processing to actually look at all that data that is now done by a commodity system and figure yeah. out other options for you. And I think those advisory services are an interesting place as well. So when you're talking about small companies, those are interesting to me because that's where real innovation happens, I think, yeah, yeah. is in some of the small little startups. And you get the really, really interesting innovation, new ideas, and that's where even in organizations like ourselves, that's kind of where diversity of thought comes in because you inject kind of some of those new yeah. free radicals into the system and <laughs> changes everybody. They, they get a bit frustrated after a while. Let me let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's how you stay young. No, it is. It is. While, it's good. That's every good. once in a while, you got to get challenged by some free radicals, and um, that's, that's yeah, um, yeah. You're talking about engagement and, you know, what your main competitor in the UK, Sage, picked up a Go Proposal and James Ashford, who's a great friend of the podcast and, and of Carbon, but is belting his way through Sage and try, trying to try to create a, a way of thinking and, and um, bring about a bit of energy in, into some of these uh, perhaps old, older organisations, let's call them more, more, more experienced organisations, let's call them that. I wish all competitors well, because a vibrant market is good for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, well, Jim, on, on that note, on that note, I'm wishing all competitors well. We do too. Uh, we're up to our hour, which has just flown by. It's been, been amazing to have you on, and, and I would love to do a uh, another uh, computer history exercise. Uh, sure, sure. You know what? I'll, I'll dust off some of my. Yeah. Uh, you caught me flat-footed on my. Uh, me too. History. Me too. I'm going to do my. Uh, get back I, and do my uh, breakout v, uh, Vim, the the text editor. I still try and do some notes in Vim. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I the uh, I was I spent a lot of time with Software AG and and nice. Database and Natural and Supernatural nice. and and um, some of the early days of the multi-dimensional databases. Uh, yeah. Um, with um, the first IRI online, which was the first mainframe multi-dimensional database, so you had to build your own front end. That's wow. a great one. You get a back end on the day on the mainframe, but you got to build everything else. There you go. Um, so that's <laughs> the uh, some great, great fun. So, well, Stuart, it's, it's been a pleasure. Nice, Absolutely, nice to meet Jim. you. And, likewise, uh, thanks, likewise. Thanks, thanks for the invite. Maybe sometime if I'm traveling out there, I, I join you in, in the studio. We can have, have beer and technology. I'd love that. There you go. And, uh, That's a or, date. Or, or if you get out here in, in Boston as well, you know, let me know. Will do. I'd love to uh, perhaps catch the Celtics over anything outside in winter, I reckon. <laughs> Jim Dunham, thank you so much for appearing on the Accounting Leaders Podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Stuart. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.